Welcome to Mutuality Matters, Gender Theology for the Gospel Empowerment of Men and Women. I am Blake Dean, here with my co-host Aaron Monez, and we are recording from Plumwood Cottage on the beautiful campus of Berry College. Hey, Aaron. Hello. Hey, I got a quick question for you. Go ahead. It's going to be a shocking one. What are you watching, reading, or listening to this week? I'm so caught off guard. Um, so actually, I just started reading a book by Christina S. Hitchcock called The Significance of Singleness. Um, I know it's there's a shameless plug for what mm. we we're doing today, but it was featured at the Christians for Biblical Equality conference that I attended back in August. And because we're always looking for good material on this um, subject, I am actually very excited to plug it here today because um, so far I've been pretty impressed. I'm not through it yet, but I, I, I want to go ahead and preemptively recommend it. I love that. I'm excited to borrow that from you when you're done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, what about you? I So at the time of recording, we're at the beginning of Black History Month, and then when this airs, we'll be at the end of Black History Month. So yes. I'm really trying to um, consume a lot of material by Black artists. And my favorite is Nina Simone. And I'm listening to an album that she released in... Um, I believe it was 1967, um, and it's called Forever Young, Gifted, and Black, Songs of Freedom and Spirit. It's it, It'll preach. It's just good. That's amazing. I love Nina. It actually sounds pretty remarkable. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. I Run, don't walk. Backlash blues will kick your teeth in if you're white, <laughs> in the best way, in the most holy way. You know, guys, we're only a few minutes in, and we've already got our quote for the night. It'll kick your teeth in if you're white. And we will we will say that proudly. It's 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 Black History Month, y'all. Go out there and consume, and learn, and watch black movies, and consume art written by black people. It's that time. That's our that's our plug. I love it. So, what are we here to talk about today, Erin Monas? Okay, we're trucking. We're trucking through dating. If you have stuck around this far, we have already addressed um, like kind of the sociological and theological foundations of dating. We've talked about sex. We've talked about physical affection, and today we're talking about something that I'm pretty sure we have alluded to heavily in the mm. last few conversations, which is singleness, which may seem a little bit off-brand for the series, but guys. It is so important. We, we actually can't talk about dating and marriage and gender theology without addressing singleness. Um, so it's super important. So, so Blake, why tell us a little bit more about why singleness is so important. Sure. I think there's probably three reasons, at least to me, that it's so important. Number one, I think m- most of the time it's a massive blind spot when we talk about dating and marriage and kind of that brand of content. Um, as well as it's a blind spot in our gender theology. Um, Because of the nature of gender theology, when you're talking about maleness and femaleness, and what does this mean? Oftentimes, a really good place, and as we've mentioned, the place where a lot of our gender theology is worked out is within our sexual relationships. Yes. Um, However, we have to talk about singleness in that context as well. Which brings me to my second point. The reason we have to talk about singleness in that context is because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Tell us more, Blake who was not married. There it is. And was very celibate. Very celibate and not married. Um, but, you know, we, we often like kind of say, yeah, but he was also God. So like, I think there's parts of Jesus's humanity and divinity that we like to parse. And this mm. is one of our favorites is to not think about the fact that we are all in the business of imaging Christ, <laughs> that, that our, like, our sanctification process yeah. is to become more like Christ. 
And um, there are certain particulars like Jesus's maleness that we tend to cling to pretty hard. But this one, we just, we like to kind of look past it a little bit and not think too deeply. Yeah. But I, but I think this aspect of his humanity requires us to ask different questions and requires us to explore this topic um, in different ways. And I would say the third reason why we should is because um, just out of love and care for our brothers and sisters that are either um, single and may one day get married or are committed to a life of singleness and celibacy out of care for their stories, um, as well as just their experiences and what they can teach us um, of the example of Christ in that way. I think it requires us to have this conversation even when we're talking about, if not especially when we're talking about dating, marriage, and gender. Yes, absolutely. I agree with all those things. And and this is a thought that has been in the back of my mind since the beginning of this conversation. It kind of goes back to us talking about dating as like a vehicle and a journey and not a destination as a process in and of itself is the fact that we don't often talk about the fact that um, when someone is dating, they're still technically single in the sense that um, in the eyes of kind of the God and the law, it's like there's there's married and there's not married in many cases because dating is a social construct. Um, we often don't think about that, but I think it's important because I think it also helps us reorient what we're doing in dating. Um, but we, what we do is we sort of, uh, diminish people based on this particular status. So mm-hmm. instead of that, we go to like maybe the Facebook statuses instead, like, Oh, it's complicated or I'm in a relationship, but truly there's, um, there are these, uh, really meaningful relationships that we give ourselves to that have a covenant quality, even in friendship. Um, and, and it doesn't, you know, require just being married, but also I think it's important for us to, to not think about dating as like, Oh, I'm no longer single. So I'm good. I'll just stay here and hang out. Mm. Um, so, so really when we're talking about dating, we are also technically talking about singleness. And so that's, that's just one of my little pet peeves. Yeah. But we do want to have a distinct conversation today about, um, not only the theological and theoretical significance of singleness and celibacy, but also like the re- what that requires of us both thinking about gender theology and just as members of the body and family of Christ. So yes. I'm excited to talk about that after this quick disclaimer, which is Aaron Moniz, you're not single. You're very married. I'm so married. And I'm so engaged. So Blake Dean got engaged recently. Also went by the time this airs, it'll be old news, but we are very excited. It's, it's such a journey. So let me just, let me just take a moment to just be like super fangirl for you and say, congratulations. I appreciate that. Um, but with that, we are not experts on the topic of living single and celibate. Um, yeah, we, we are not, um, we don't get to be experts. Um, and so we very humbly and very graciously, um, and with our foot probably most definitely in our mouth by the end of it um walk forward and hope that we do our brothers and sisters um that this is their reality um whether short term or long term um we do them justice as well as um loving care absolutely absolutely and like it it had never occurred to me till i think it was actually carolyn custis james who brought this up in one of her books that None of us, even if even if we do get married, even if we do kind of run a tract that uh, has sort of the average marrying age and, and so on and so forth, we're all going experience singleness 
at some time. And whether we might get married and then like get divorced or are widowed or whether we don't get married or whether we wait till we're much older to get married, like singleness is actually more of a reality. Mm-hmm. And, and she says this particularly for women because of life expectancy and all this, that women actually are more likely to experience a longer period of singleness in their life than they are marriage, just on average. And this is worthy of discussion because I don't think it's unfair to say that we have, um, as postmodern kind of Western Christians, we have a kind of idolatrous relationship um, to marriage and family. Amen. Not that they are not institutions given and granted by God, but instead of seeing them as given and granted by God, um, we either explicitly or implicitly, at least in my own experience, um, make them the goal and standard of righteousness. Um, and we don't house programming or um, community building that allows for um, our single brothers and sisters to really fully participate in the body of Christ in meaningful ways. Um, I grew up in a home where I'm a triplet, so I was raised by an army because <laughs> my right. parents were automatically outnumbered. Um, and the Lord really graciously provided and gave um, a number of people that loved and basically helped raise me, Mm -hmm. Um, many of whom were these awesome, strong, powerful, God-fearing single women, Um, which is one reason why I'm really um, passionate and get quite emotional about the topic is because these are people that not only helped raise me, but that um, were catalysts to my experience of grace. And so every time we talk about marriage or dating or the gospel for men and women, my first question is, does that work for those people that had, that literally took me to the feet of Jesus? Yes. Um, and I think that's a question worth asking also in this kind of, I would suggest overly realized relationship with, um, marriage and making it the goal rather than a vocation, um, or a station. We, we also run into this really interesting and tricky problem which is the overrealization of our own maleness or femaleness only being found within the context of marriage which proves very problematic not only for our single brothers and sisters but also for what does that then mean about the maleness of jesus right mm-hmm. um and i think and i know that you want to talk about this so i would love to hear your thoughts on this that this is specifically poignant for women more than men but also for both of us yes um this is what was interesting about this topic so i've put some stuff out on the interwebs before recording this and one thing that i found interesting is that um because of the idolatry sort of the 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 pedestaling we've put of marriage in the nuclear family um we tend to have this sort of disfigured approach to singleness in our churches. Um, and a lot of it is just, we don't even really think about it. We want companionship for others. We want people to not be lonely, to not be alone. We, we desire these things. And in that desire, we sort of elevate this, um, which means that we actually treat both men and women pretty equally poorly as singles in our communities. But there is this sort of distinction for women Something that comes out and um, in Carolyn Custis James, yep, there's number two mention (laughs) of her um, in her book. uh, I believe it's the introduction to Lost Women of the Bible. She talks about her own journey because she thought she would be married just out of college. And when she wasn't, she experienced 
kind of young adult singleness in her church community um, and then eventually got married, but then um, they struggled to have children for a while. And also how these implicit messages worked on her because the messages were that that wifehood and motherhood were were and are the highest achievement and calling of any woman. And we, we don't necessarily put that same pressure on men. Um, but, but for women, and, and I, I knew that no one ever said that explicitly to me, but I grew up knowing that I grew up knowing and seeing that ultimately motherhood and wifehood was absolutely the highest achievement a woman could have. Because when we don't talk about, um, maleness or femaleness, except for in the context of Ephesians five and the household codes, right. The only time when we discuss it is about the relationship between men and women in the home. That is what is implicitly being said. And it's not malicious. Neither of us are sitting here saying that anyone um, that we grew up under or that is working and practicing today, like actually um, would believe the ramifications of that. But um, when we don't have a really nuanced and full conversation, I love Ephesians 5. I would love to talk about Ephesians 5, but that can't be the only way that we talk about maleness and femaleness because then we are only talking about maleness and femaleness in the home and i am male and you are female in so many other spaces and in so many other ways um so what then does that mean for us um and i think that's one main reason why there's those ramifications especially for women Absolutely. Um, so to kind of move hard into this, because I'm going to talk about some things that might sound like we're diminishing the institution of marriage. And first of all, if, if you're curious about how we feel about that, please go back and listen to some of the other podcasts, because we, we've gone into depth on this in, in many ways about, about how marriage is um, this holy institution. And I'm not here to bring down marriage as much as I am here to bring up singleness and see marriage and singleness both as two different ways to approach the same missional call that is delivered to all of us and that it's not um not necessarily better or worse and that it's the better or worse that is making this problematic and it's it's a small shift but an important shift because i've because like you said there we have so many dear friends so many people who are important to us who have experienced singleness in a church setting that is is beating them down with these messages that they are less valuable and less important and specifically hard for women. Um, and we can do better as the church. We can absolutely do better. And so when we think about how we date and how we pursue marriage or when we find ourselves not um, dating people who who are looking to be marriage partners like like when we find ourselves sort of consistently in a pattern where marriage is not the thing that is coming our way how do we understand sing, like singleness and when we're not dating or when we don't have a potential partner on the horizon how do we understand our worth and dignity and mission in the context of that so um so unless you have something to add like dean i will just kind of jump right in go ahead um so when going back to um, the intro to Lost Woman of the Bible, um, Carolyn Custis James uh, looked back at um, some of the the curses in Genesis, specifically to Eve, and there's you know the desire will always be for your husband, and he will rule over you, um, pains in childbirth, things like that. And some of these uh, Genesis qualities, including those, were sort of the precedents for understanding. Um, herself in marriage and, and these sort of things. And she says it somewhere much more eloquently than I. I encourage you to go back and read it. But 
she says, okay, so if these curses are the way they are, if I never marry and if I never have children, I'm just exempt from the curse then. Mm. Right. I mean, rule, you know, desire for my husband to rule over me. No, that's, you know, I, I can kind of opt out. And um, it, it challenged me to rethink, like, how are we thinking about what's happening in Genesis? Because these things seem to indicate more than just sort of the superficial applications that we can give them. And of course, like the fall applied to mm-hmm. everyone. Like it's, I mean, she's not challenging original sin, but there are these implications, especially the way we genderize them um, to understand our relationships that is so important. And so looking back, one of the things that she discovered is that when God is making male and female and commissioning them with this cultural mandate and commissioning them to um, make disciples and fill the earth, they, that God is calling them to the same mission. And of course, Adam and Eve are both sort of representative and literal all at the same time. That can be a whole other thing that we get into. <laughs> but so they represent a lot of like well, how we understand marriage, right? As a partnership that is missional towards um filling the earth with the light and love of God, creating disciples. But also she sees this as what she calls the blessed alliance, because it's not just marriage as the model, but that men and women representatively are called on mission together, whether they're married to each other or whether they're just working alongside each other for the kingdom. And so in that respect, if we're in a marriage, then we're on mission with our partners for the gospel. If we're not, we are called into uh, that work with men and women on mission for the gospel. And so at the end of the day, if we preach this, then it will help married people sort of understand what they're moving towards, but also single people understanding Mm -hmm. like, oh, the, the calling is still the same and I still need to be in community with people. I, I am particularly proud just, just to throw a quick, uh, shout out, um, in my work environment, we're in a two person department and my boss is male and I'm female. And we have talked at length about how we feel that this is such an important representation of what we believe about this very concept that, I mean, and and my boss is a married man and he's married to his wife. I'm a married woman, married to my husband. And so we're on mission in our marriages with our marriage partners, but we also see ourselves on mission together as Mm. colleagues in ministry on this college campus. And we believe that that's represented in Genesis in that way. And I also think kind of going back and forth between the covenantal conversations with marriage and singleness, I think there's also a really beautiful opportunity to see um, the now and the not yet in, in talking about marriage and singleness for if marriage is a secondary picture to the primary picture of Christ in the church, which is, I would argue the thesis of Ephesians five. Um, if that is a secondary picture of Christ in the church, and this is a way of imaging it, now, then being celibate or being single is a way of imaging what is to come, of being satisfied fully, um, physically, spiritually, and emotionally um, with Christ. And with and so eschatologically, that will be us all, right? Satisfied with him um, in his presence. Yes, because and, neither of these satisfy loneliness. Say it again. Like, just we're just putting like being in community can can help curb loneliness like these communions with each other both in and outside of marriage do that but eschatologically married people are lonely single people are lonely this is not the cure 
um, we have to rethink what we're doing in community, both in and outside of marriage for that. So that's my, please continue. Yeah. And, but I also want to be very quick to come up. I am very hesitant to say the thing that I just said, not because I don't think it's true. Um, but it does feel callous to the, to the experience of being single and a believer right now, specifically in America. Yes. Um, and so I, I want to be very quick to say that this vision ought to, and as someone who would love to go into church work someday, um, it's a high calling to make sure that that vision is um, captured and acted upon in the way that we do church structures. Absolutely. So it imaging the eschatological vision is a gift and it is a good thing and it is a holy and sacred thing. However, you still need people. And it's so much easier for us to say like, well, you need community, go get community. Well, how do people go and get community? Right? Mm-hmm. So there's some of us, we live on a college campus where it's, I'm surrounded by my peers mm-hmm. most of the time, yeah. more often than I would like to be sometimes. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Barry College, this is a residential campus. So literally the students eat, work, go to class, sleep, like all in proximity to each other. But as I move on, as I graduate, as I go on to the things which come next, I'm leaning on my ecclesial body to be the place where I find community, right? And But I have a partner for that journey, right? I'm walking forward with um, my fiance and then soon to be wife. But as a single person, when you move forward, when you move on, how are our churches serving us? And I would like, hopefully in the most gracious way I know how to, separating singles and marrieds and young parents is not a helpful model for this. Yes. I... And I understand the reason behind it. Mm. I just want to suggest it's not a helpful model because we all need one another. I need my single brothers and sisters to, te- to teach me from their station and vocation of singleness and celibacy more about Christ, but also from their individuality to teach me more about Christ. Yes. I need my young adult parent mm-hmm. brothers and sisters. I need my uh, elderly retired brothers and sisters. Absolutely. Part of being the family of Christ is acting like the family of Christ. And this is far easier to say theoretically than to do pragmatically. And I'm, I don't mm-hmm. want to be callous to that either. But I also want to say, um, if we actually believe this, and I suggest that we should, that both marriage and singleness are valid, viable, and dare I say sacred ways of imaging the work of Christ and the mission of Christ, then I think there's a critical question to be asked is how do our um, communities and specifically our church spaces Um, how do we act out of belief in this or how do we act out of unbelief in this? Absolutely. And to that, I've just got a couple of things. One is an easy course correct, which is there might be people saying, yes, single people should be on mission for God. But what we do to them is we say, single people, go do the really hard work in crazy foreign countries Mm -hmm. where married people just really shouldn't be going. Like, you're single. You have no one to miss you. So go off and, you know, preach to the cannibals or whatever it is. Like we, we have a long tradition. You did not just say preach to the cannibals I on totally, this podcast. I did because this is the craziness that's happening. We are delegating 
grunt work to singles as if they are this sort of um, obscure workforce for the kingdom that um, and married people are well they opt out because like they need to live in the suburbs and raise their children but single people they can go do the dangerous and and, and, um, hard work where first of all all of us are called all of us are called to be on mission for the kingdom and singleness is not an excuse Um, church leaders your single people are not there to just fill the whims and roles and to, and by letting like married people off the hook because they're married. So the way we segregate them by status, first of all, stop it. Don't do that to people. Okay. So that's one. Two is I got a response, um, from a friend, uh, kind of reaching out about talking about the singleness things. And and she made this observation that when she was single, her friends who were the same age, but married were invited more over to people's homes and integrated more seamlessly into the congregation um, than she was as a single person. And friends, we should we should lean sort of in the opposite direction. So very much to answer kind of Blake's um, charge to how do we do this in the church is um, uh, because I have a husband at home, I do have a level of accessible companionship, but we have like Mike and I really live in, in an abiding um, desire to have people in our home um, because we don't have children. Um, we try to fill it right now with college students. When we lived in Nashville, we had different people come and live with us. And in the future, we plan on reaching out to some dear friends who are probably going to live lives of lifelong um, celibacy and bring them not just into our home, but into our family because um so that they can have that too. And it's going to look different than like what Mike and I have in a marriage, but people need to, to live in these spaces. And of course it, the, the expert on this really more so than me is, is Wes Hill who actually lives this and has written on this and has done this. And, and I've, I've like, I was just in the home, the, the, the Smith Hill home up in um, Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago. And I see this lived out and it's beautiful. Uh, who is Wes Hill? Okay, Wes Hill is a professor of New Testament at Trinity School for Ministry in Ambridge, um, Pennsylvania, but is also an incredible scholar and author and one of the founders of the Revoice Conference, um, which uh, I absolutely love. And he also, um, God willing, and all goes through, will be my thesis advisor for my doctorate. So shameless plug for that. I feel like if I keep saying it enough times, it'll just oh, secure that Oh, and if it's published on the internet, it might be more true. It might be more true. Absolutely. So, um, but I, I really do admire Wes Hill. And, and particularly his work um, on spiritual friendship, um, which again has helped orient our understanding mm-hmm. because we're not experts on like lifelong celibacy and singleness, looking like really allowing ourselves to be moved and influenced by someone who's like, I'm doing it. It's hard. Here's what would help and make it better and how our theology shapes that. And churches have this opportunity. I mean, how beautiful and incredible would it be if our churches are places where whether married or single, young, old, dating, that people were deeply integrated into each other's lives in a way where they established meaning, where they felt um, as as utilized and as loved and as cared for as others, that no one was left wondering, if I get sick, um, who's who am I going to have to call mm-hmm. to come take care of me? Will I be on my own? Um, like, like We can create actually this beautiful community in the microcosms of our church in a very easy way just by just by thinking on these things and saying hey we can do better with this and i also want to be very gracious and kind and not callous to the hard work that is church work yes that is 
man, that is the grunt work on the ground. And also, it's so easy. We don't want to be drive-by critics either. We don't want to just say, well, clearly, stop it. I would like to suggest maybe stop it. But like, <laughs> but but also knowing that this is a countercultural move. Yes. So that it takes more buy-in. It takes more, quite frankly, moves of the spirit of God among us to reorient the way that we understand the structures in which we live. I think about Jesus um, when his mother and brother come to him and he says, um, who are my mother and brother except those that follow me, right? I butchered, butchered <laughs> that quotation. Oh, but yeah, but yes, because he's pointing to his disciples in the room. And and so suggesting that the family of God actually looks different. Now, does this mean that I don't love my mother and my brothers? No, I love my mother and my brothers. Thanks for listening, guys. But but it means that the vision of what family looks like, the vision of what intimacy looks like, the vision of what home looks like is far wilder, far more complicated, and far more beautiful than the nuclear family vision that we have um, and that we feel comfortable in. But we understand that this is a countercultural move, and I... Um, the complexity of it. I think that's what Wes Hill's work does. I would commend all of you very specifically. His book, Spiritual Friendship, is formative and thoughtful and short um, and very accessible. So I would really commend you all to read it. Um, Not because of any other reason than it has really formed and shaped my imagination to what um, my future home looks like and what my future life looks like and what my future family I want to look like. Um, and maybe what the gospel asks of us being a part of the family of God. Yes. And to circle back, um, Blake Dean, to the passage that you were just talking about, because I, th- I think this, this really brings all the elements together for me. Because in that passage, when Jesus' family comes to him and he says this really bizarre statement. Kind of rude. Yeah. It, it, it almost like at first, at first glance, it almost looks like he's diminishing the the blood ties of family. And I've read so many scholars that are are rethinking this thing. Well, no, Jesus, if Jesus is a member of the Trinity and is God, then the God who said, honor your father and mother, he's not about to like turn around and go against his very own commandment. So if he's not diminishing the idea of family, then he must be elevating something else. And, and what's happening um, in a theology of friendship is that we see Jesus looking at his disciples and looking at his friends and saying, if you want to know what friendship looks like in the kingdom of God, it looks like a family. And And, so if you want to know what family looks like, it looks like being adopted as brothers and sisters into the house of God, into the life of God through Jesus Christ. Yeah. The bottom line to everything we're talking about with singleness and dating is we have to do friendship better. The mm. church has to talk about friendship better. We like, we, we use words like community and we use words, you know, like, um, you know, singleness and these sorts of things, but really friendship as is understood in scripture looks like a family, which means it's, it's everything that we've sort of been talking about. But I think that also informs the way we date, because if we are working Mm -hmm. to see our friendships as avenues of our calling and mission, then we will find people in our friendships that ultimately lead us closer to the possibility of perhaps being marriage partners with them. Like we, we can do friendship 
better um, as a start and I think make a better way for how we understand dating in the process and also find ourselves in a livable place when mm. we're not dating somebody because our friendships are developing out of this rich theology of love and care. And I'm going to use a word here that's going to make everyone who knows me roll their eyes collectively, and that is framilyship. It's not catching on. For, it will. It's not catching it's on. It's very fetch. Family ship is 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 coming. Um, and I say this, and oh gosh, I can just we feel, just lost I can feel all credibility. We've lost everyone. They've they've stopped listening. But here's the idea: it's like friendship and family and these ideas coming together. This is rich. Let's mm. talk about this in our churches. Let's think about this. Let's think about how we think of married and singles. I mean, not family ship. I don't agree with that, but I agree with the content <laughs> behind it. Um, I also think something that's worth exploring, and definitely this is a whole other conversation, but I think I am so here for the amount of community dialogue that's happening right now in Christian spaces. I think yes. it's beautiful. Um, but I do think um, what's missing in that dialogue often is commitment. Mm-hmm. And what does it mean to commit to people in, in friendship without these, without having to put a ring on the finger, right? Yeah. Um, what does it mean to do that? And I, that's something that I don't, quite have formulated thoughts on but rather i'm just kind of thinking and prayerfully considering as i move forward and really begin a life is Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be committed to people what does it mean um if family has this sense of commitment and this weight what does it mean um to be a part of the family of god um and how to do that with the people around me i don't know the answer to that question but i think it's worth considering that community is also not just this like idealistic beauty beautiful vision of you know, sitting around a table with exposed light bulbs, but it's something deeper and something more challenging. And um, even the brief tastes I've got of it, nothing is more sanctifying than allowing my life to be shared with someone else, whether that be um, in a like an intimate romantic relationship or whether that just be friends I meet with on a weekly basis. Nothing is more sanctifying. Um, yes, I, I love that. And I think I'm hopeful um as I'm also doing the project that I'm doing with my doctorate about intimacy, that we begin to rethink intimacy. Like one of the things that, that saddens me so much is how, how few sermons I've ever heard about friendship. Mm. I've heard one and such an important part of our lives, such an important part of our development, such an important part of our marriages and like everything else. And such an important part of our missional ecclesiology. And yet as a church, our books and our sermons and our content veers so heavily towards romantic relationships, but it almost barely, if ever, touches friendship. Um, and one of the one of the big things for me was, um, and, and to be fair, this was like back, I think it was like 2015 or 16, at, at a Q talk, Julie Rogers said a sentence that has stayed with me forever. And it says, I can live without sex, but I cannot live without intimacy. Mm. And at the heart of this whole thing for me is that in marriage or in singleness, we need intimacy. So mm-hmm. the answer to that question, like how we achieve intimacy in both of those spaces has to be something that we're covering equally um, because I believe that's a part of the sustainability of being on mission in both of those spaces mm-hmm. is to be insulated by care and intimacy as created beings who, who need that mm-hmm. um, it, w- without exception. And um, those are the conversations those are the conversations I want to inspire. And those are the conversations I want to see. And I want to hear, I want to see people write books. I want to hear people preaching. I want 
more of this content because I believe this could make a huge difference um, for all these other conversations specifically related to to dating and marriage, but how we understand ourselves as male and female in the family mm-hmm. of God. And I think we we're watching a really beautiful uptick in this that's really hopeful and I think maybe an indication that uh, God is at work at this. I think of um, Peter Balk, who is <clears throat> founder and director of Equip Your Community, mm-hmm. um, just wrote an excellent article about a sacramental understanding of family and what that means for our single and celibate brothers and sisters. I think Wes Hill's work is excellent. I think Eve Tushnet's work is mm-hmm. excellent. Um, I would love, we'll throw some awesome articles and resources in um, the show notes so that you can go and explore those because I do think while there is still definitely a charge and for both of us sitting at this table as we move forward in our vocations to be um, better stewards of our spaces in that there's also some really awesome amazing people that are very smart and very eloquent and very artistic that are doing really great and faithful work. Um, I'd love to close us by properly quoting scripture um, and specific specifically Jesus talking about his mother and his brothers and kind of the base level, what is family and the kind of topsy turvy way of Jesus's kingdom. And I'm reading from Matthew 12. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mothers and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Amen. Well, that was Mutuality Matters. Thank you so much for listening. This was Gender Theology for the Empowerment of Men and Women. Um, Follow us on social media and engage with us. If you were excited by what was shared, if you were annoyed by what was shared, if it makes you mad or have questions, we want to hear that mainly because um, we know we... We don't live in a vacuum and we are not the only perspectives on this topic and various other topics. Also, please, like in all your other podcasts, review, rate on your favorite podcasting platforms. That would just be such a gift and a blessing to us. And I'm not above groveling for that. Absolutely. But thank you so much for listening. Um, and we'll be back in two weeks. I'm Erin Moniz. And I'm Blake Dean. And thanks to our producer, Bailey Dingley, for making all the magic happen. We'll catch you next time.